the often mentioned but never before released story, never talked about this publicly on the podcast, of the time that I had to come face to face with the snarling dog of war. And then, because I'm already on the subject of dogs, I want to talk about yet, we talked about this on Friday, but I have yet another bizarre, unexplainable story of the time I saw a dog right in front of me, middle of the day, try to attack some children, and then when I jumped in to help, things got weird. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys had a great weekend. I hope you guys had lots of fun doing whatever you're doing. On Friday's episode, I talked about ghost dogs and my relationship with dogs. <laughs> I ended the episode on a rant about dogs. And I mentioned the time that I went toe-to-toe with an Akita that had just mauled a man right in the middle of the street. Me and this dog had a fight. I've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast, and now I think it's time to actually tell that story. Also, because of my journal, I just got done recording that episode. Like I said, I'm trying to record some episodes in a batch before I go on vacation, and I just feel that it's time. We're going to talk about that, but first off, let's go ahead. He didn't get to fly the Carboner Copter last episode. Let's re-invite into Dead Rabbit Command Christmas livestream contributor, Alex. Everyone give a big round of applause to Alex walking into Dead Rabbit Command, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally get it. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really, really helps out a lot. Now, yeah, like I was saying in the intro there, I'm super amped up. So let's get started, Alex. Let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. Or leave me behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're headed all the way out to Orangevale, California. Let's travel back to the year, you know, it's so funny, as monumental of a story this is, I don't even remember what year it takes place. That's par for the course for me, really. Like, I have a really hard time, I really keep track of everything. Did it happen before or after Terminator 2 came out? This story was was past Terminator 2, I think it was between 97, 98, 99, probably closer to 1997. And listen, when I was in Sacramento, I got in fights a lot. I was constantly fighting people or starting fights, whatever. It's so hard to own weapons in California legally. Like, to have a gun, to transport a gun, you have to have the ammo in one part of your car locked up and the gun itself in another part of the car locked up. So people will keep, a lot of times, their gun in their glove compartment, the ammo in the trunk. It's almost too much trouble. And you're like, Jason, are there a ton of shootings? Are there a ton of gangs in California? Yeah, they're not They're not carrying their guns around legally. It's not like they're like, well, we're going to mug people all day long, but we will follow the law regarding guns. And also, a lot I, in California, I don't know if it's the same, but any crime you committed with a gun was an automatic extra five years for using a firearm in California. I'm sure it's actually higher nowadays. So it was too much trouble to own a gun. I did have knives, but even those were very, very tricky in California. The the reason why I feel comfortable telling this story on this podcast is it's true crime. There's a lot of true crime on it. I carry knives, but I never carried them on my person because in California, the knife has to always be visible. I carry a knife all the time up in Oregon because the laws are more permissible. I always have a knife on me. But California, if you carried a knife on you, it had to be visible at all times. So like clipped on the outside of your pants. It had to be a knife you use two hands to open. It couldn't be larger than 12 inches. 
Which, I mean, at that point, at that point, you're Rambo, right? Couldn't it be larger than 12 inches? Couldn't it be a gravity knife? Couldn't it be a switchblade or anything like that? It couldn't just come to a point, so no dirks or daggers. Now, the, obviously, you'd have people with fishing knives, those long fillet knives. You'd have people with those hunting knives. But when you, you couldn't be walking around with a hunting knife in downtown Sacramento. That would be, a cop would stop you, a cop would question you, and again, any cop can take you off the street and throw you in jail for 24 hours and say, ah, we decided not to charge you. So you could say you're following the law, but at the end of the day, the police can do whatever they want and have you detained. They're not arrested. You're simply detained. If you have a fillet knife at downtown mall and it's 13 inches long, you're going to have a really hard time saying, I was about to go fishing because you're in the middle of this city. But I did keep some knives in the trunk of my car. I actually did have a dagger at the time. And then I had a couple folding knives and stuff like that. But again, remember, I'm also constantly getting in squabbles. And those were generally just fist fights, right? You get in a fist fight in California and nobody cares. But I remember once I was down at Folsom Lake, just driving around one day back when gasoline was 98 cents a gallon. Drive around sometimes just listening to music. And I remember one day I was driving around. I decided to stop at Folsom Lake. Just walk around. <laughs> Wanted to have an excuse to carry my giant fillet knife. And as I was walking around, I found a boat oar. This giant piece of wood looked like a Gandalf staff. And it was rounded, not like a ball at one end, but it started to taper into like a rounded, thicker end at the top, and then it would taper down. It was this old wooden paddle, and the paddle part had been broken off. So basically, I just had this giant stick. It was probably around five feet long. And I remember like holding it up as if I had found Moses' staff. I thought this would be awesome for smashing people's windows open. Yay! People are like, what did you say? And it's like, nothing. Oh, I'm going to smash his window open when he's not looking. So I took this giant boat oar and I threw it in the trunk of my car. I was staying at my grandma's house, which I talked about on yesterday's episode. I lived with my grandma for a long period of time. This is in the Woodward Way area of Orangeville is where we're at now. And then Pecan Avenue, right around the corner. And I remember this particular day, I had to go to college. I had to go to class. I worked for the school newspaper, the American River Current, and I was headed there. And my cousin Rachel asked if I could take her somewhere. I don't remember where I was dropping her off, but I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I was staying with my grandma at the time. I talked about that on Friday's episode, and my cousin Rachel was over there. So we get in my car. This is back when I was driving my Ford Mustang. And we start driving. We come off Woodward Way. We're driving now down Pecan Right when we get onto Pecan, there's this house there on the left-hand side of the road. And it's like this white tracked house, right? It just looked like a normal house that came out of a came out of a machine. You know, they all kind of look the same. And in the front yard, there is a man rolling around with a dog. This big dog. I mean, this guy was probably around my height, right? I'm like five foot eleven. He's probably close to that. And this dog looked as big as him from tail to snout. They're kind of rolling around. And I remember it caught both mine and Rachel's eyes. We, we were kind of just chatting about whatever. When we came around the corner, we both saw that. And one of us, I don't remember which one said it. One of us said, are they playing around? You know, people wrestle their dogs all the time and grab tennis balls out of their mouths and stuff like that. I slow down. I'm driving very, very slowly now down Pecan Avenue towards Greenback. We're both kind of craning our necks to see what's going on. And I probably get maybe 75 yards away and Rachel goes, I don't think they're playing. So I stopped the car. 
Now, this is a time before cell phones. I mean, sure, they existed. Donald Trump had one, you know. They had the giant block cell phones, the yuppies and stuff like that. We all had pagers, maybe. I don't even know if I could afford a pager back then. And I remember stopping the car. There's no way we could, like, alert any authorities. Plus, we didn't know what was going on yet, right? We don't know if this guy is still kind of wrestling, having fun with this dog. But I walked to my trunk. We both hop out of the car. And I walked to the trunk and... By the time I get there, I realize that this dog is attacking this man. And the attack is so savage. He's not screaming out for help. He's not making any noise whatsoever. He's spending, this man is spending every ounce of energy he has just fending off this dog. And it's latching on and shaking on a body part, then latching onto another body part and shaking. It's, it's trying to murder this man. Now, what I found out later that this was an Akita which is a dog that the Japanese bred to be a war dog. Nowadays, they're a pet. And what I found out later, too, is the people who raised this Akita was this, you had this really nice house. Well, I like tracked housing, right? I like that kind of cookie-cutter house. And then I think one or two houses down was this old, decrepit Adams Family Munsters-type house. It was gray with the paint flaking off and the spooky staircase and the spooky windows and all that stuff. And that's where the Akita came from. From what I found out later, there had been several reports to authorities that that dog, that Akita, was getting loose and chasing kids around the neighborhood. So this dog was not brought up well and the owners were not treating it well. And this dog was a problem. And this was the day things got as bad as they were going to get. And I, re- I didn't know any of that stuff, though. I just saw this giant dog. I didn't know the breed. I just saw this giant dog attacking this guy, and I walked to my trunk. And I remember as I was walking to my trunk, I thought, I might have to stab this dog. Like, I might have to, to, to stab this dog. And I remember popping the trunk, and I looked, and I was looking for my knives. Now, this is such an interesting story for me. I hope it's interesting to you, but just my mindset. I remember going to the trunk looking for the knives because the knife is such a final weapon. There's no defensive use for a knife except brandishing it, right? I figured I might have to stab this dog. It's mauling this man. But what I didn't realize in the moment was that to use a knife, remember, you can't have a knife over 12 inches, so my knives were fairly small. Most of them were folding knives. And I would have to get incredibly close to this dog to stab it, right? I mean, within arm's reach, within, you know, I, I'd have to get up close. But I wasn't thinking that at the time. I thought, I might have to get a knife. I might have to stab this dog. I wasn't thinking about how close that combat would be. You brandish a knife on a human, the fight's over, right? People are like, no, nah, I'm done. Dogs, they're not thinking like that. I walk and I remember kind of moving stuff around in my trunk looking for my knives. I couldn't find a single one. I had like seven of them. And I remember being upset that I couldn't find my knife because this is a life or death situation. We don't have phones. Something needs to be done right now. And then I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden, I realized that in my trunk, I have a five foot long piece of wood. And little did I know that that was exactly what I needed. I picked the boat oar up out of the trunk, and just to be clear, I was not dressed to fight anyone this day. I was wearing Birkenstocks in my shorts and t-shirt, and I start walking towards this 
melee. And again, it's probably about 75 yards away from me. I start walking towards it, and I turn to Rachel, and I say, Get back in the car! I realize that as ill-equipped as I may be, what else is going to happen? Who else can do anything? And right when I'm thinking that, this is such a crazy thing. This guy's rolling around with this dog. And right when I'm thinking, like, okay, you know, Rachel, you get back in the car so you be safe. Because right now, like, my brain's still kind of putting forth scenarios. Like, what if this happens? What if the dog comes into the car? I don't want Rachel to get hurt. Like, I'm sure I can take it, quote unquote. But I can't even say there was any sort of rational thought. Just these scenarios were kind of playing in the back of my head, like someone doing quick mathematics. I remember once I was involved in this giant start of a gang melee right nothing nothing happened nothing happened but i happened to be there with about 20 dudes maybe about 20 feet in front of us was another 20 dudes and we're walking towards each other i was 35 by the way (laughs) this story this this gang story i was i shouldn't have been in this type of thing at that age but i'm walking with about 20 guys i got 20 guys coming towards us And I could see them holding weapons. You could see the silhouette of them holding bats and things like that. A pool stick. All basic rumble weapons like it's West Side Story or something. And as we're walking, I hear someone on our side say, They've got a gun. They said it a little more panicked than that, but they said it loud enough for everyone to hear. And I remember as I'm walking in within a step, like I remember myself clearly lifting my left leg up to step, and I remember in my head I go, they have a gun, you can't see it, that means it's a handgun, 6 to 15 rounds, you're not going to get shot. Just statistically, out of 20 people, the way we were spaced out, 6 to 15 rounds, the chances of me getting shot in that moment, as far apart as we were in the dark, my chances of getting shot was incredibly slim, and I remember like that entire thought process went through my head at a single like moment. And we continued to walk forward, because obviously if I thought the odds were against me, I could have walked backwards. Now, nothing ever came of that. The fight never materialized. People called the cops. Everyone showed up. I was not there to fight. I was hanging out with some friends, and they wanted to rumble with some... It's a whole thing. It was a whole thing. But anyways... Your mind processes stuff super fast in that situation. You're incredibly calm. That's the weird thing. I get more anxious thinking about the story now than when it happened. So I have the boat oar and I'm walking towards this guy. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't even, I remember kind of thinking hypotheticals, but I don't remember thinking what I was actually going to do. And around that time, I saw a minivan pull up and now it is directly across from the guy. Like they're maybe separated by 20 feet. This minivan pulls up, and there is the guy on the grass. And behind, what are they going to do, right? They're watching this. And I found out later it was a mom and a little boy in this minivan. Again, no cell phones. And then behind the minivan pulls up an unsung hero, a male woman. Male woman out on delivery, she jumps out. I get chills just thinking about this part. She jumps out of her mail truck and runs towards that Akita, spraying it in the face with mace, pepper spray, whatever it was. She's running towards it and she's just blasting this dog in the face. And I'm standing there with the boat oar and I'm thinking, oh, okay, somebody can stop this. That 
I'm going to try my best not to cuss because I normally don't cuss on the show because I know people listen to this stuff at work. So, but I, I may start to lose the plot on that one. That dog turned. No joke. This was so insane. That dog stopped biting the guy, turned, looked at the male woman, and ran directly into the stream of mace. He was headed right for her. I remember thinking, this situation has totally gone sideways. And I remember watching that stream get smaller and small, because she's just like blasting this dude. And the dog is literally running into the stream, and I'm watching the stream get smaller and smaller and smaller as that dog's closing the distance. And it gets within, fuck, maybe like 10 feet of her. She runs. Like, what are you going to do, right? This dog is enraged. It ran into the stream. And now she, I'm, I'm watching her run and she runs around the minivan. Because, you know, the, the mail truck has a giant opening in it. She can't get in the car because the dog will follow her. She runs around the minivan and the dog's right behind her. It's like a fucking Looney Tune. I watched them do three laps and each time she would run around the minivan and the dog was right behind her. And then I'd see him disappear behind the back of the minivan. And then she reappears and the dog is running right behind her and I watch her disappear back behind the minivan. And on that third pass, that kid, that eight-year-old boy, Opens up the side of the minivan. I watch the male woman straight up like shoulder jump into the minivan. And that kid slams that door. It was right on her. The man is lying prone on the grass. I don't even know if he's alive at this point. He's just laying there. I remember thinking. Maybe I can get in my car. Maybe I can run to my car. And when I turn around, I realize at this point, I have walked a good maybe 20 yards, maybe 15 yards from my car. Just I was like slowly walking with my stick. I realize not only is my car about 15 yards away from me, I'm wearing Birkenstocks, so I can't run. I just saw how fast this dog was. And my stupid cousin Rachel shut my door as well. When I told her to get in the car, I didn't mean turn it into a tank. So I thought, even if I'm able to get back to my car, I'm not by any long shot a runner anyways. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking this very clearly. I turned around and I looked, even if I can get back to the car in time, even if I could open the door in time and jump into my car, that only leaves one other person for this dog to attack, the man who is laying on the grass. It will go back. I remember clearly thinking that. You could try to run. You might be you might be able to beat it to the car. But even if you did, let's say it did not attack you when your back was turned because this fucker was fast. This dog was so fast. Even if you could get back to the car in time, it's just going to go and it will kill that man. If he's not already dead, it will finish him. And that dog saw me. And it began to charge. And I realized the second that it laid eyes on me and began to run, I realized at that point, I could not turn my back. I had to fight it. I realized at that point that once it saw me and began to run, there was no way that I was going to be able to outrun this thing. There's no way. I had a moment where I kind of considered it, but once it started to run towards me, 
I'm not an athletic person by any means. And I just don't mean that physically. Because, you know, I love to lift weights. I love to walk and do stuff like that. I love to do the stairs. When I say athletic, I mean athletic ability. I'm terrible at putting a basketball through a hoop. I'm horrible at tennis. I'm horrible at anything like that. And here I am with this boat oar. And I remember taking a batter's stance. I turned it so my right arm was my right shoulder's farther back. And I took this batting stance. And I'm holding this boat oar. And I'm waiting. Had you pitched a ball to me and gave me a bat and said, hit this ball, I would have a hard time doing it. I'm not, I just don't have that mechanism in me to play sports. And I remember taking this batter stance. It was so natural, right? Take this batter stance with this five foot long piece of wood. And the dog is getting closer and closer. It's moving so fast, right? And I square up. And as it gets close enough to me, I see, literally, this is no exaggeration because I remember this so vividly. I saw the mace dripping off of its face. I could watch all of this stuff just dribble down its fur. Its entire face was wet. And I squared up. And I don't know how I calculated this. I had—I mean, it had to have just been a miracle from on high. That dog got right within striking range. And I swung that oar so hard, I heard a crack. I hit this dog, this Akita attack dog, right in the head. I swung and I... Don't remember aiming. I don't remember calculating. I don't remember figuring anything out. I swung at just the right time that that tip, that bulb of the boat oar smashed into the side of its head with more force than I've ever put into anything before. And I heard a crack. But then I heard a louder crack. And I hit that dog so hard. And I heard that first crack. And then I heard the second crack. And I knew what that second sound was. The oar had snapped in half. I busted a solid piece of wood on this dog's head. And I heard that second crack, crack, that unmistakable sound of wood snapping. And the thing is, is that when I swung it as a baseball player, when I swung it like a bat at just the right moment, I followed through like a baseball player, hitting a homer, my entire body twisted to the left. And I remember I hit it and I heard that first crack and then I heard the second crack and I followed through and now I'm looking up at the beautiful California sky. My entire right side of my body is exposed. And I remember swinging through like a baseball player and I look up and the only thought that popped in my head was, you're dead. I've exposed the juiciest part of Jason, all of those delicious organs and muscle tissue to this attack dog, and I have no way to fight it off. My oar is broken. I remember following through, and I look up at the sky, and I thought, you're dead. The street was silent. And a moment passed. I was waiting. I was, I was literally waiting for the end. And then another moment passed. And after about two or three seconds, which seemed like forever, 
I'm still frozen in this weird position like a baseball player, how he's followed through. And I turn my head and I look down. And the dog is just standing there. And then I kind of readjust my body. So I'm facing it full on. And the dog goes, (gasps) shakes his head. It's not looking at me now. It's looking straight ahead like this height of a dog. And I'm looking down at it and I'm holding this boat oar. And the dog just turns, walks back home. So I take off running. Jogging. Really, I'm in Birkenstocks. I start jogging to the man on the ground, covered in blood. The male woman gets out of the minivan. At this point, people had called the authorities. Because what happened was, I did not know this at the time. When I was standing there with that boat oar, and that dog was running towards me, because, you know, it's a really close-knit neighborhood. At least it was back then. There was a guy right across from me, really right, like, see, we're on Pecan Avenue on one side of the street, the spooky old house with the crazy dog. On the other side of the street, there was a man who was cleaning his rifle out. He had taken his rifle apart and was cleaning it on this day. He had seen what was going on, apparently, because he told my grandma this, because over time, like, that's how I found out that the dog was chasing kids around the neighborhood. Like, there are elements that I heard afterwards. This guy told my grandma, he goes, I was cleaning my rifle and I saw what was happening and I was assembling that rifle as quickly as I could. He was putting it together and he goes, and I watched your grandson stand in that road and he goes, I'm just putting it together. I'm putting this gun together. And he knocked the shit out of that dog. Fire department shows up. They're bandaging this dude up. Ambulance shows up. That neighborhood is so noisy now, right? All the sirens. It was so interesting. They they throw him in the ambulance. They take him off. And I remember the firefighters hosing down the driveway because there was just blood everywhere. I had blood on my feet when I was... I don't know how to help the guy, too. We got over there. It was just blood. He was This guy had gotten chewed up. And I remember I got blood all over my Birkenstocks. I got blood all over my feet. The male woman, she had jumped out. And we're kind of like, like, what do we do? We're still in shock. Ambulance fire engine shows up. And I remember one of the firefighters was watering down the, washing the blood off the driveway. And then they left. And I remember walking back to my car and thinking, I don't know anything about this dude who just got attacked, but somebody's going to come home from work or from school and they're going to have no idea that this just happened. There's no blood. There's no evidence, nothing. There would have been blood on the grass, but who looks at the grass every time you come home? I dropped Rachel off. I went to school. I had to I have to do stuff, right? I'm always doing something. And again, it wasn't sinking in exactly what I had gone through. So that's the end of that story. What I found out later, sorry, this has gone on way longer than I thought it would, but what I found out later was I talked to the guy after about a month or two, I went to the dude's house who got attacked and I said, "Hey man, you know, I I, I it was in the newspaper." There was a little paragraph in the Sacramento Bee, Man Mauled by Dog. It said nothing about the heroic actions of a future podcaster. He didn't have to, right? Just a little little blurb in the Sacramento Bee. I remember talking to the guy later. I said, yeah, I was there. I, I helped fight that dog off. And he said, yeah. He goes, listen, I grew up in Germany, and I have never had a problem with dogs. He goes, I have two dogs myself. I grew up with dogs. He was like, his dad was in the military or something like that in Germany. 
He goes, I grew up with dogs, dog, farm dogs, regular dogs, house dogs, all that stuff. He goes, I never had a problem with dogs. He goes, but that dog was a terror to the neighborhood. He never bothered me, but I'd always hear reports of kids complaining about it, and people had filed complaints with the city or the authorities, and no one ever really cared. He goes, and then one day, that day, he was sitting at home, and he heard a commotion outside of his house. His two dogs in the garage were going nuts, and he heard a dog outside the garage and so he's like oh i wonder what's going on does this dog need something right again he's never had a need to be fearful of a dog he goes i walk and i look out and i see it's my next door neighbor's akita or that neighborhood's akita again i don't know if there was a house in between the two but i saw that it was the akita and i thought oh maybe he needs help he goes i opened that i was home alone he goes i opened that door and the dog immediately jumped on top of me and began attacking me and I'm fighting this dog off and we're in my foyer, right? We're in the the opening, the entrance of the house. And he goes, that dog tried to drag me into the house. My dogs in the garage are going insane. They're barking so loud, but they're locked in the garage. And he goes, I remember thinking, this dog is trying to murder me. This dog, if it gets me into the house, it will kill me. My only hope... He told me this. This is nuts. He goes, I knew that my only hope was to get out of the house and maybe someone would see what was going on. So as this dog was trying to drag him in the house, he used really the last reserves of his strength to push himself and the dog out into the lawn where they rolled across the lawn. And my car is coming around the corner right then. Absolutely insane. It broke his wrist. It bit him so hard it broke his wrist. He had a giant gash down one of his arms like it took out muscle tissue. And I go, so what happened with the dog? He goes, oh, they put it down. Not only did they put that dog down, I own their house. It's like, really? He goes, yeah, I sued him. I own that house now. It might have been more than two months afterwards, another thing about that, but he's like, no, yeah, I took their house. I sued him, and I own it now. The dog had been reported to be a problem. So that's my that's the Akita attack dog story. I, again, it went on a lot longer than I thought it would. Hope you guys were entertained by it. It gave me for a long time. I had PTSD from it. I don't know if I'd go so far as having PTSD from it, but I definitely would sit around and I would fantasize about different ways that I could have beaten that dog. I would sit around and go, "Dude, what if I had a sword in my trunk and I just lopped its head off? What if I had a shotgun in my trunk?" <laughs> it away. I'd sit there and I'd, I don't want to say fantasize, but I'd get stuck in these loops about fighting that dog. And I hated dogs for the longest time. When I grew up, I didn't really, I didn't really care about dogs. I mean, I thought they were cool pets, but I I wasn't a dog person. I didn't love them or hate them. After that event, I couldn't be around dogs at all. People would say, oh, my dog's nice. And I still wouldn't want to be around them. And the way that I got over that was at one point I was homeless and I had friends that were helping me out. Like I was Staying at one guy's, living in one guy's garage for a while. Great guy, my friend Gherkin. And then my friend Kara offered me to stay at her place for a while. And, you know, I, it was, I was going to watch her kid during the day. She worked during the day. And it was this awesome kid named Liam who just played PlayStation all the time. Um, stay at her place. But she had two dogs. This giant German Shepherd named Tango, who's a super smart dog, right? He was like a. German Shepherd, like super trained and stuff like that. And then little Jake, Jake, this little wiener dog. But when I walked in the house, I like, I was homeless. So I was like, are you kidding me, dude? 
But Tango kind of stayed out of my way. But Jake was just constantly barking and he was afraid of me, which was making me afraid of him. And I remember that very first night, I was like, dude, I don't know if I can do this. And like Jake, because Tango was chilling wherever. I oddly wasn't super nervous around him, but Jake was making me nervous because he was so unpredictable. And I remember thinking, dude, it's been like 10 years. It's been like 10 years you've been afraid of dogs. And on that very first night, my very first night staying with Kara, I grabbed Jake and I took him to bed. I said, you're sleeping with me, bro. Because otherwise, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I got to bond with you now. And he's a wiener dog. What's he going to do, right? He's a little schnauzer. And I pick him up and he's like squirming. And I put him in my bed and I crawl into bed and I shut the light off. And within like five minutes, he was nuzzled next to me. And we were best friends after that. Like, I think he was nervous and I was nervous. And that's what got me over my... Uh, hatred. I would say hatred of dogs, right? I had a really hard time being around them. Now I'm... Still, I can still get nervous around them, especially loose dogs. That's what I was talking about on Friday's episodes. But now, you know, Hood River's a huge dog town. People are constantly carrying their dogs, walking their dogs, stuff like that. And I just enjoy the puppy parade. I do enjoy the dogs. I've gotten over my hatred of dogs. Let's wrap this up because I want to talk about, I, I know this episode is going to run long and I really do apologize for that, but I want to add, a, that was a true crime story technically, right? An assault. Uh, let's talk about a, parano- a weird paranormal story, and then we're done with the dogs. We're done with the dog stories, and I also want to toss Alex the keys to the carpenter copter. We're leaving behind Orangevale, Cal- This is short, guys. Don't worry. Alex, we're leaving behind Orangevale, California. We're headed all the way out, a couple miles away, to Del Paso Heights. This story would have taken place in 2005? So around 10 years, right? 1997, 2005, what is that? Eight years. Afterwards, so at this point, I have not met Jake yet. I still have an issue being around dogs, and I'm still on the lookout for dog attacks, right? People who are having trouble. And the boat oar cracked, right? I know, I don't. I wonder what ever happened to that boat oar. I should probably put it in a museum or something, just a museum that I'd want to visit, but... Um, I didn't have the boat or anymore, but I had a nice collection of baseball bats in my trunk. Now, again, here's the thing in California, true crime related, you, this is so bizarre, dude. Like, listen, man, California has some good stuff about it, but their laws are insane. In California, you cannot have a baseball bat in your car unless you also have a bat and a glove. Because technically, a baseball bat is a weapon. And I've not pulled over by police and questioned, are you baseball? Are you a baseball player? I was like, no, I'm not a baseball player because I have an aluminum bat in my backseat. I don't have a ball and a glove. And so, yeah, but, you know, the cops let me go. They just harassed me. But I had a collection of baseball bats in my trunk, and I also had a baseball glove and a ball at that point. And I also would often, you'll see me, if you ever hang out with me in real life and we happen to go to the Goodwill, if that super specific series of events takes place, people have noticed this. When I go to Goodwill, I will buy baseball bats at Goodwill. And people go, why? I don't know why people ask me why anymore, because they know it's going to be something insane. I have a good collection of baseball bats just sitting in my apartment right now. I buy them at Goodwill. You go, why do you buy baseball bats at Goodwill? And I go, because they're covered in fingerprints. You buy a brand new baseball bat from Walmart, first off, you're paying full price. Secondly, it only really will probably have one set of fingerprints on it, yours. But if you buy a baseball bat at a Goodwill, 
you, let's say you you smash someone's car window. Let's let's just say hypothetically speaking, you smash someone's car window with a baseball bat. You can leave it there. You wear gloves, obviously, hypothetically speaking. You would wear gloves, but you just drop it. First off, it only cost you three bucks, right? Smash the window, drop the bat, do whatever you're doing, and then leave. It's covering fingerprints. It's covering fingerprints of a bunch of eight-year-olds and everyone who walked through the Goodwill picking it up and pretending to swing it around. Not your fingerprints, because you are wearing gloves, right? I go into Goodwill and I'm putting on gloves. Buy your bats at... <laughs> it's another true crime tip. Where was I going? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was driving through Del Paso Heights. I was leaving work. It was really late in the day. Del Paso Heights, they've recently been gentrified, but it used to be kind of a rough neighborhood. It had a reputation like Oak Park, that it was not the best place to be. But it's also as a major thoroughfare, right? To get from one part of Sacramento to another, you can drive through Del Paso Heights. Now there's a lot of art museums and stuff there. And when I was driving through the area, it was half and half. I don't know what it looks like now, but I remember when I was living in Orangevale, Del Paso Heights was one of those areas you didn't go into after dark, like parts of Rancho Cordova or parts of North Highlands. I was driving through this residential area of Del Paso Heights. It's like 5 p.m. It's late in the day. There's a lot of traffic. Barely drive. The story is so weird. I don't even know how to classify this. Driving down the road. And because we're going so slow, I see on the opposite side of the street... This residential neighborhood, I see a young girl, maybe like eight years old. I'm really bad with ages and stuff like that, but maybe eight years old. And she was there with her six-year-old, what I would assume, brother, right? And they're completely, like, frozen. And standing maybe five feet in front of them is a dog. And the dog's barking at him. And I remember it now I'm going really slow. This is still when I just could not even be around dogs, and I'm kind of having flashbacks, right? This dog is barking at them, and I see the girl and the boy, their body language is they're terrified. This isn't, they're not playing around. And I remember, like, they were trying to figure out what to do. I think the little boy started to step forward, maybe to try to get around the dog, and the dog, I'd never seen a dog do this, like, in anger before. It reared up. It stood up on its back two legs and just barked so loud. And the girl straight up flinches backwards. She grabs the boy. And then all at once, the girl starts running. The boy starts running. And the dog starts running after him barking. And at this point, when I was watching this going on, I'm already slowing down. I'm already stopped in traffic. I remember putting the car in park. Like in a in this weird motion. I must have had a baseball bat in the back seat now to think about it. I put the car in back. Pulled out my Goodwill baseball bat, and now I am running down the sidewalk. Middle of the day, traffic jam, like in one motion now. And this, again, I'm not a runner, but luckily I had tennis shoes on at this time. I'm running down the street, and I see this dog in front of me. It was like this tan dog. I don't know what breed it was. It's running. I see the girl running and the boy running in front of me, and then the dog behind them, and then I'm behind the dog, and I'm running with this bat. And I watched the girl make a quick left turn into a yard. And then the boy, because she, I, I, I think she realized she wanted to save her little brother. But she also had to be fast, right? I see her quick make a quick left and disappear in her front yard. And I see the boy make a quick left and disappear into the front yard. And I see the dog make a quick left and turn into the front yard. And then I run and I make a quick left and I turn into the front yard. 
His dad is sitting there. This mom is standing there. There's two children sobbing, screaming. I'm standing there with a baseball bat. The dog is nowhere to be seen. I have no idea where this dog went. At this point, a bunch of things are happening. The whole family only speaks Spanish. And the boy and the girl are sobbing and screaming. And I'm holding this bat, and the dad is looking at the kids and then looks at me and stands up. And I'm like, there was a (laughs) I remember going, there was a dog. There was a dog. And the mom is super confused about what's going on. This dude, here's the thing, like, you can't fight this guy, right? I can't fight this guy. I can't. I'm like, I might just have to take an ass whooping right now or try to run away and get back. I don't know what to do. I can't lay this guy out. He's the hero. Like, he's the one who just sees this man run into their front yard right after their children. The children are screaming. I'm holding this bat. I'm trying to explain there was a dog. There was a dog. I don't speak Spanish. They don't speak English. The daughter then starts to be able to kind of collect her senses. She starts sobbing so hard and she starts to try to tell him what's going on. Right? I could see her talking to like talking to the dad as he's walking towards me. And he wasn't a big guy, right? This guy who didn't tower over me by I honestly was probably a foot taller than him and probably had like 50 pounds on him. But I can't fight that fight. He's the good guy. I would be the bad guy. I remember I'm holding the bat and I kind of have the bat to my side now and I'm walking. And also, I'm totally afraid that the dog's going to jump out of somewhere. I saw the dog. And the do- I see the daughter kind of like talking to the dad. And the dad is just like very slowly, methodically, with Terminator-type fashion, walking towards me. Now, there's st- he's not right up against me. We still got maybe like a good... 10, 15 feet distance. And the mom starts, I think the mom, see, he's not listening to his daughter at that point, right? Like, what would you do? The mom starts to like touch his shoulder. Now she's saying something and the girl's saying something and he starts to like, kind of look at them. I'm gone. I leave. I go back. There's a huge traffic jam. You know, I left my car in park on the road. This whole thing took place over the matter of like, maybe two minutes if that like again i was running and i'm not a strong runner i couldn't run for two minutes it was is a very short period of time all of that stuff happened i don't know where that dog went and what i again i don't know any spanish i imagine the girl was trying to explain to them there was a dog as well there was a dog there was a dog because they were getting pursued by the dog i saw the whole thing but i don't know what happened i don't know where that dog went at all and i totally understood what the dad would be thinking if a guy comes around a corner with a baseball bat, right? And these kids are screaming, they run in the yard and you just see some stranger run into your yard with a baseball bat. But I don't know what happened to that dog. I don't know even how to classify it. I don't know if that dog belonged to like Whiplash Snidely or whatever and he's trying to pull a prank. He's all, (laughs) in the bushes. Who knows? Phantom dog, ghost dog, sly dog that somehow realized that It was out of here, but there was no dog in the yard. It definitely wasn't their dog. The girl turned the corner, and it was like, when I say turn the corner, this was a house on the middle of the street, so it was like a chain link, it was like a waist-high chain link fence into their yard. So the girl came around the chain link fence right to where her dad would be. The boy came around the chain link fence right to where the dad would be. I watched the dog turn into the yard by that chain link fence 
I came around, there was no dog. I have no way to classify that story, but I will say this. I don't think we're going to be talking about dogs for a while. But I hope you guys did enjoy that. I That's a story that I, I, I hope you guys found interesting, both of those. I don't... You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you guys have given me a gift by listening to this podcast and being part of the Dead Rabbit Radio family, being part of the Fluffle. And I don't ever want to abuse that. I don't ever want to just sit around and talk about myself um, because there's more interesting things to talk about. But because I talked about it so much on Friday's episode, I figured you guys and and I've mentioned it so many times on this podcast I never told the Akita story and I'm in full. I told it on the Patreon Discord, and then I've never really told the the vanishing dog story. I've told it to my friends and stuff like that. But I don't want to ever take this show for granted and be like, oh, they'll listen to whatever gibberish I spout out. So I really do hope you guys enjoyed this. It's true crime adjacent. And the second dog, I have no idea. Mandela effect? <laughs> they fire up the CERN generator for the very first time, and that dog Mandela out of here? Who knows? I don't even know how to classify that second story, but I really do appreciate you guys. I really do appreciate you guys, and I hope you found this episode entertaining. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm so, so glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.